Hello, and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. In this episode about age discrimination, we are honored to have George Rule as our guest. George is a graduate of Vanderbilt University School of Law and a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Indiana University in Bloomington, a Hoosier. Since graduating from Vanderbilt, George has focused his legal practice on employment law representing current and former employees. I first met George in 1998 when he was just out of law school and interviewing for positions. Our firm was not hiring at the time, and I told him we would keep his resume and call him if we had an opening. George then said something to the effect of, Hey, I will work for free. I really want to represent employees, which I thought was funny. It was kind of interesting. Well, we didn't we weren't going to hire someone for free, and I declined. Uh, but actually we thought about it some more and decided this is a guy we really want. Someone who sincerely wants to help workers. And George will tell us why in a little while. It's one of those decisions you make that you wonder if it'll be a good one, and it truly has turned out to be a great decision. Since 1998, George has represented thousands of employees, successfully participated in jury trials in both state and federal court in Ohio, and he has received favorable jury verdicts. He has also represented employees at the Ohio Court of Claims as well as in mediations and in arbitrations. George is a member of the Cincinnati, Ohio, and National Employment Lawyers Associations, as well as the Cincinnati, Ohio, and American Bar Associations. George Roll, welcome to the show. Hey, Randy. Thanks a lot for uh, having me. Glad to be here. Hey, George. I've always liked your first and last name. I often kid that it really means that George rules. But your last name is spelled R-E-U-L. What is your family heritage that resulted in that apparent misspelling? Ha ha. Well, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think my name is uh, spelled correctly, Randy, but uh, uh, it, it's uh, German in, in origin. Oh, mine likewise. Hey, George, today's topic is age discrimination. And this topic is the first of several episodes in our series devoted specifically to the topic of employment discrimination. Employment discrimination is the primary exception 
to the employment at will doctrine that we discussed in episode one. Employment discrimination comes in many forms, including sex discrimination, disability discrimination, race discrimination, national origin discrimination, and religious discrimination that we briefly touched on in episode one. When people tell you that they're involved in a wrongful discharge claim against their former employer, it is a pretty good bet that they are really talking about a possible employment discrimination claim. And I chose age discrimination to be the first employment discrimination topic in our series because age discrimination is alive and well in corporate America. Many employers send subtle but clear messages to older workers that they are not wanted. And ageism exists in the workplace when employees over 50 are passed over for promotions, career opportunities and training, and companies instead focus their attention on the needs and wants of younger workers. I have learned over the years that age discrimination is a subtle prejudice. But it is a reality because of the stereotypes about older workers that permeate Western society. People over the age of 50 are often viewed as resistant to change, technophobic, less energetic, less creative, less innovative, and they just don't want to learn new skills and new processes. You have heard the expression that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And many supervisors and managers still believe that that applies to human beings, even though there is no evidence that as a general rule, any of these stereotypes are accurate. So we want to explain today why those stereotypes can create legal liability for companies. Employment discrimination happens when employers act upon these inaccurate stereotypes and treat older employees unfairly. The truth is that older workers do not differ much from their younger counterparts. In our area of the country, the largest employment discrimination jury verdicts since 1970 have been based upon age discrimination. And I was reading uh, the other day, and according to the American Association of Retired Persons, AARP, a stunning 64% of workers report that they have either witnessed or experienced age discrimination in their workplaces. Because of the prevalence of age discrimination, I wanted to talk to an expert in the area, and George Rule is one of them. So, George, enough of me. Can we start with the basics? What exactly is age discrimination? Do workers have protection on the job based upon how old they are? Yes, but uh, only older workers. So, in 1967, Congress passed the uh, Age Discrimination and Employment Act, the ADEA. And that prohibits employers from not hiring, firing, or taking other discriminatory acts against someone who is 40 years old or more based upon their age. So it only protects 
uh, employees who are 40 years old or more. Does it apply to every uh, employer in the country? What about smaller employers? Yeah, so for federal law, U.S. law under the ADEA, an employer is required to have a minimum of 20 employees uh, to be covered under this law. Now, there are are many states uh, that also prohibit age discrimination. Ohio, for example, uh, prohibits age discrimination, and the threshold for an employer to be covered under Ohio law for age discrimination is four employees. So uh, depending on what state you're in, uh, it's, it's important to consult with an attorney or someone who's knowledgeable in this area to find out uh, if you work for a smaller employer, whether age discrimination would be uh, prohibited. Okay. So George, so it depends. If, if, if somebody works for a company that only has 15 employees, they're not covered by the federal prohibition, but they can file something under state laws, what you're saying in Ohio. That's correct. And if somebody just works uh, in a mom and pop shop and there's only one or two employees, there's actually no coverage. Sort of hard to believe, but there, you have to have at least four employees. That's right. Okay. And 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 you also have to be em- uh, an employee. So with respect to uh, federal law, U.S. law, uh, contract workers aren't, aren't considered employees. So you have to be uh, a Employed. Oh, like an independent contractor is not uh, covered. That's correct. Now, does this area of law have any special interest for you? Yeah, it does. Uh, when I was in law school back in the mid to late 90s, I had uh, two uh, uncles, uh, my uncle Fred in Dallas, uh, who's my mom's brother-in-law, and her brother, my uncle Lee. Uh, in in the Philadelphia area, they were both engineers, and they were laid off uh, from long term employment. Hmm. Okay. And in in both of those cases, uh, they felt like age was a factor in in those decisions. Hmm. And you know, it really uh, resonated with me and brought home for me the the impact of an older worker, someone who's, who's been with the company for a long time to get laid off uh, in the later stages of their career uh, because there, right. there are statistics out there that show um, it, it takes older workers uh, longer periods of time to uh, find new employment. Uh, so that really drew me to employment law in general, that makes sense. It hit home for you. You, you actually witnessed it when you were very young. You, you were in law school, like in your twenties, and your right. and your uncles apparently they believe they were victims of age discrimination. Right? Huh? Okay. And then you know, after coming to work at uh, Freaking Myers and Rule, Freaking and Bats at the time. One of the first jury trials I had a case that I actually began working on a couple of years into into practicing employment law uh, resulted in uh, the first seven figure uh, jury verdict 
of my career case that you know well yep. and worked on. Um, and that was an age discrimination case. So, you know, throughout my career representing employees, uh, it's, it's certainly an area of law that I've taken an interest in and, and think it's um, an important, important area of the law. Now, George, I mentioned the other forms of possible uh, employment discrimination. But as an employment lawyer representing employees for many years, is there anything unique about age as a legally protected characteristic as opposed to some of the others? I think so, Randy. And one of those things is, you know, all of us who are in the workforce, if we're fortunate enough to have uh, good health, um, you know, people have an economic need to work. And at some point in our careers, we're all going to hopefully be working over the age of 40 into the uh, protected work class. Uh, People are working uh, longer. Um, So regardless of what race, gender, national origin, religion, other legally protected uh, classifications that you're in, you may be faced with age bias at the, at the end of your working career. So it's something that, that all of us may face at some point. I also think it's a little bit different because there seems to be less awareness or stigma around ageism or jokes, negative comments in the workplace. I think a lot of people recognize, hopefully, although it still happens, uh, that you know, racial slurs or derogatory comments about uh, somebody's gender aren't made in the workplace. Uh, Sometimes uh, people are less sensitive to making negative comments based on age. So I think that makes it a little bit different than maybe some of the other protected characteristics, but no no less harmful. Uh, So I think You know, many employers and managers who would never think of making a a racially based statement may make comments or hold stereotypical views of older workers that that really are harmful in the workplace and can lead to unlawful decisions. So I think, you know, this area of law in particular, employers need education and understanding on this topic. Uh, understanding of the value of older workers and how to avoid decisions that negatively impact older workers in the workforce. And, you know, George, I've never really understood this myself. You know, you're right. People think it's okay to make jokes about when somebody's going to retire or how gray their hair is or something like that. And it just, it just seems so odd to me because, you know, when they're hiring employees, they say, how much experience do you have? We're not going to hire you unless you're experienced. (laughs) And then you get older and you've got 20 years of experience. And it seems like now the employer likes the guy who's not as experienced. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But hey, anyway, I digress. Can you give me some examples of age biases that you've seen in the workplaces in, in this area? Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of um, areas where uh, age bias can creep into the workplace intentionally or unintentionally, but, you know, oftentimes when companies are thinking about 
uh, learning opportunities or training. Those are often offered to uh, younger workers first. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, this could include educational coursework or training opportunities, continuing education. So oftentimes, uh, again, that, that the older workers get ignored for those opportunities. Uh, being overlooked or passed over for challenging assignments. Uh, this can also include uh, unfair share of unpleasant or tedious assignments given to older workers, being left out of company meetings or client activities, um, a spoken or unspoken assumption that you're not entitled to take time off for family commitments because you don't have young kids at home, or again, the disparaging comments or, or remarks about age. Uh, this can also include uh, older workers being asked about when they plan to retire, mm -hmm. you know, being passed over for raises or uh, promotions. Uh, you have to be careful there. I mean, you know, not, not every decision obviously is, is unlawfully based. Um, you know, they can be based on legitimate factors. Uh, but, but, but certainly if you have uh, concerns that you're being passed over for opportunities or not being treated fairly in, in the workplace, I'd recommend consulting uh, with an attorney to get some legal advice. Well, you know, George, you mentioned uh, questions about retirement. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was kind of assumed that people would retire at age 65. Uh, is there uh, any kind of mandatory retirement age for most employees? I mean, can, can an employer force you to retire, like, let's say, at 65 or 70? No. And, and you know, that's one of the things that the uh, ADEA addressed uh, in in the vast majority of, of jobs, uh, there's no such thing as a mandatory uh, retirement age, and that can be unlawful in certain circumstances. There's also the reality that people are, are, are working longer. Uh, and, you know, in some part that's due to uh, economic necessity, right? Uh, in terms of your, you know, initial introductory uh, podcast, which I would encourage everyone to listen to. One of the things that you you talked about was the disappearing pension in America, and and that has certainly created uh, economic uncertainty and a need for older workers to continue working longer. That's you know one of the reasons why age discrimination can be. Uh, so impactful again because losing a job later in life, it's it's much more difficult to find another job or a comparable job quickly. And and there again, there are statistics that show that. Um, so the the lack of uh, traditional pensions certainly has impacted older workers and made this a more uh, significant issue in my mind for employment law. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you see a lot of people over the age of 55, they're just not they're not number 1 they don't want to retire. Number 2, they don't want to tap into their social security, but they've got this gap between like their late 50s and when they can even get their social security and all they can go back on is their 401k plan if they even have one. So a lot of people are 
have a lot of economic stress when they're laid off uh, in their late 50s, early 60s. So what, what kind of suggestions do you have for older workers to combat or deal with ageism or age discrimination in the workplace? Is there, is there anything they can do? A- absolutely. Um, it, it is important, and, and this goes for any age group, but you know, particularly older workers, and that's you know, make make an investment in yourself, your skills, your abilities, and that that is to take advantage of learning opportunities, uh, training that your 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 company provides, continuing education. It's you know, making yourself more valuable. And, and versatile that can be, be really important uh, for job security. It's it's also important to combat negative stereotypes in the workplace. And you know one of one of the ways older workers can do that is to embrace change or new technology or new ideas or processes that a company comes up with. Let, let me give you an example. A, a yeah. lot of companies like to invest in technology. For example, uh, they might purchase tablet computers or a new uh, software package. Um, and, you know, this advice really applies to all ages, but uh, it's important, especially for uh, older workers, which is when your company makes a change. Uh, obviously, in most cases, they've done that for a reason. And when they've invested in new technology, somebody thought that was a good idea to make the company better, to make things run better. Do not be the employee who is resistant to that or makes a negative comment about that, particularly if you're an older worker and you're complaining about new technology in the workplace. That just feeds negative stereotypes such as you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And, you know, I've, I have seen that in a lot of cases over the years in terms of, of consulting with employees where an employer has, you know, created a paper trail or justified a termination based on an employee not adopting to some, you know, important change on the job. So that's, you know, that's something that's really significant. If your company is investing in new technology or a change, don't, don't be the person that's resistant to that and make the boss think uh, that you're, you're not on board. It's not a good idea. I, I guess that makes me think of our current circumstances. Uh, a lot of people working at home as we record uh, this podcast. So maybe the older workers ought to be the ones setting up the Zoom meetings. Make sure they they can do the Zoom meetings just like the uh, younger folks, huh? Right, right. That's a that's a really that's a good idea. And again, it's it's particularly uh, dangerous for an older worker to to get pigeonholed into the idea that they're not uh, technologically savvy. So that's that's significant. You know, some other ideas in terms of of what older workers you know, should try to avoid would be launching into stories about the good old days, how, how, the, <laughs> how the company used to, used to do things. Yeah. Um, it, 
you know, don't bring up your age as a reason why uh, your boss should take it easy on you or actually just, you know, kind of fall into the trap of thinking your company owes you something. Uh, they, you know, they probably do owe you a duty of, of loyalty, but the reality is, you know, there's always economic security for workers. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's important to be focused on uh, the job. Well, George Rule, uh, employees uh, that lose their jobs, don't they often think it is very difficult to prove age discrimination? And so they're kind of reluctant to even call a lawyer. Um, I'm wondering how it is that an employee can actually establish that their age made a difference in their selection for termination or for a layoff or to be included in a reduction in force. Yeah, sure. So, you know, from a a legal standpoint, the courts have developed over time a framework to analyze age discrimination claims. They're called the prima facie elements. So the basic elements of an age discrimination claim in the employment context, as we talked about before, the employee needs to be over the age of 40. They need to be able to establish that they're qualified for the job that they're doing and that they suffered an adverse employment action. A lot of times we're talking about the loss of a job termination, but it can be, again, uh, adverse actions could also be a failure to get hired for a job. It could be a demotion. So it has to be a significant job action to be legally actionable. And then normally in terms of establishing age discrimination, there's a couple of ways to do that. And one of the ways that an older worker can establish age discrimination is after losing a job or being demoted from a job that they were replaced by somebody that's substantially younger. Oftentimes we think about that in the context of of somebody being less than 40. But what the courts have actually said is it needs to be somebody substantially younger. So Ohio, for example, where where I practice, where we practice, Kentucky, uh, the judicial Sixth Circuit, which also includes Tennessee and Michigan, the courts have said essentially that someone who is six years younger uh, is is substantially younger. Now, that's not a bright line. It really depends on the particular facts and circumstances of the case. So any, any employment discrimination case, including age discrimination, it is a, a fact-intensive uh, analysis. So it is important if employees have a concern that they have been subjected to age discrimination or any type of discrimination on the job that they consult with a lawyer, someone uh, who understands employment law, so they can investigate the circumstances. But but certainly if you're older and you've been unjustly fired or, or being treated badly on the job, it's, it's worth exploring whether or not uh, there's a potential legal claim. Yeah. And you mentioned the failure to hire. There's a lot of difficulty in finding comparable employment when you're over 50, 55, 60, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Now you said um, earlier that the law applies to employees over 40. 
And that was part of the law when it was written in 1967. That doesn't seem real old to me anymore, anyway. What do you think about? Doesn't to me either. (laughs) What do you think about that? You think people with like who are technically over 40, but they're really not like 50 yet at least, have realistic chance of proving age discrimination today? Yeah, I I mean, I think that's tougher, Randy. I think, I think. People in their fifties are are much more likely to experience age discrimination. Uh, certainly, if you're if you're over the age of forty, there there is the potential, but it really depends on on the facts and circumstances. I think most people in their forties, without specific evidence such as being replaced by somebody in their 20s or, or comments about their age, it's, it's really much more difficult. So mo- most age discrimination cases are likely people age 50 or older. Yeah, I think the, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking about people under 50. I think that uh, Paul Tobias, who was one of my mentors, uh, once won a case for a guy who was 48 years old when he was fired. And I think that's the youngest employee I've ever seen win an age discrimination case, but whatever. How common, George, uh, do you think age discrimination is today? Yeah, I think it's a a huge problem. And, you know, the statistics with the EEOC, the EEOC, I think you've talked about that in some of the prior episodes, the introductory episode, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is the federal agency that enforces many of the employment discrimination laws, including the Age Discrimination Employment Act, they keep statistics on charges that are filed. And so since the year 2000, more than 20% of EEOC charges filed every year include a claim of age discrimination. So it's, hmm. it's definitely prevalent. And and why do you think it is still prevalent? I mean, you sort of mentioned earlier that people don't seem to mind making like older jokes or or jokes about older people, whereas they are smart enough to steer clear of like racist and sexist jokes. What is is it about age? Is it just the the stereotypes? Again, as I, I said previously, I think, you know, unfortunately, for whatever reason in in our society, it's, it's less, there's less stigma associated with age discrimination. Yeah. For some reason, people kind of think that you ought to get out of your way or out of their way, right? The guy who's 62 ought to get out of the way of the 32 year old. Right. It's sort of a thing about Western culture. Okay. Anyway, Hey, we're recording this during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. How is that impacting older workers? And what do you see as potential issues with respect to older workers being impacted by the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, it, it's a real concern right now. As, as all of us know during this pandemic, unfortunately, there are a lot of folks who are losing their jobs who are being furloughed or even permanently laid off, which we often refer to as uh, reductions in force. 
And when companies are eliminating workers, uh, in, in most cases, hopefully, or in some cases, there are severance offers being made to affected workers. Almost always, anytime an employer makes a severance offer, they are asking employees to sign legal releases, uh, meaning in exchange for an amount of severance benefits that the employee has to sign a contract to waive their right to bring any employment discrimination claim. Now, there are specific legal requirements under what's known as the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act. And, you know, recently uh, I've consulted and, and viewed some release agreements where employers are not following the requirements of the uh, Older Workers Benefit Protection Act. You know, George, I think that's one of the greatest laws ever passed. I mean, it used to be, you know, when I first started practicing law, you could legally jam a legal release in front of someone and say, you've got 10 minutes to sign this. And the uh, Older Workers Benefit Protection Act was passed in the mid-80s that actually provides that an older worker has to have a reasonable opportunity to consider one of those agreements. Is that what exactly does the OWBPA require? Yeah. So actually, I believe it was signed into law in, in 1990. And it was an amendment to the ADEA, the Age Discrimination Employment Act. And, and I totally agree with, with what you just said there, Randy. It is a very important piece of legislation. And frankly, I, I think it should apply to all employment discrimination statutes. Sure. Uh, but, but, but it is specific to the Age Act, and it has a number of requirements. It requires, if, if an employer wants to get a legally enforceable release of, of claims, which means if, if the employee signs that document, they're giving up their right to sue, as I said. So the, the requirements of the OWBPA are that the release needs to be in writing, that it needs to be written in a manner that's reasonably understandable by the employee. Not too much legal gobbledygook. But that's right. Although, <laughs> <laughs> although a lot of the release agreements that we see that sure does contain a lot of legal jargon, and it's not even easy for experienced lawyers to read some of those documents. Uh, but the ADEA has to specifically uh, be mentioned. Um, the employee cannot be required to waive claims occur after signing. So for example, if your employer makes false or defamatory statements about a worker in the job reference context, uh, you can't release those claims in uh, a a, a severance agreement under the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act. Uh, there has to be valuable consideration given for the release, something of economic value. So you can't just get nothing for it. 
Um, it has to specifically advise in the legal document that the employee consult with an attorney prior huh. to executing the release. So the employer has to actually tell the worker that maybe they had to go see a lawyer to review it. That's correct. It, ha- it has to be in writing. And a lot of times I consult with them employees and they have a legal document and, and they say, well, I thought I should come in uh, because the agreement <laughs> said that I should consult with the lawyer. And that's, you know, that's a really important thing. If, if you are being asked to sign a legal document and, and giving up your rights, it is very important to uh, seek legal advice. Uh, some other, other requirements under the OWBPA is that an employee has to have 21 days to consider the offer. Again, that's important. And I think Congress addressed this issue because for a period of time, uh, in the 90s, before 2000s, you know, someone would get laid off, an employer would take the employee into the room and say, hey, you know, we'll offer you two weeks of severance, but you need to sign this. The person had just lost their job, they're stunned, they're hurt, and they're being asked to sign their uh, legal rights away on the spot. So this is extremely important. And I still hear from people uh, from time to time, unfortunately, where uh, they felt like they, they've been pressured in the context of receiving an offer uh, to accept it. Um, the law also provides that after the worker has signed a legal release, they have seven days to revoke their decision uh, to change their mind. Uh, the OWBPA also has specific requirements with respect to mass layoffs or group reductions in force. And that's particularly important right now uh, because there are a number of workers that are being laid off uh, in groups. And the requirements under that law with respect to a reduction in force of two or more employees is that the time frame for the individual to actually consider the, the offer uh, in exchange for signing a legal release is extended to 40 five days rather than 21. Okay. So you have a longer period of time to consider uh, the severance offer. And then also this is uh, important and and significant uh, in evaluating whether there's potential age bias in a layoff. And, and, you know, that is a big, big concern, which is the employer has to provide information to the employee in writing about the layoff decision. And that that includes, they have to describe the class, the unit, the group of of individuals that are being covered uh, by the exit program. So, you know, for example, if it's a large employer, it might be organized with respect to department or business unit. They can be company-wide. It has to list in writing who is eligible to be considered, who did we consider, what class or group of employees were considered when we were making layoff decisions. It also has to include their job titles and their ages for all employees that were considered, including the employees that were not laid off. 
So you, you can basically get some statistical analysis to see if the older workers were selected at a higher rate than the younger workers? That's right. So you have the ages of the people that, that kept their jobs and the people that didn't. And, you know, within the last several weeks, I've, I've seen this information in the context of a mass layoff where you look at one job classification in particular, and let's say, for example, it's a group of 20 employees and they laid off five of them. Well, I've, I've, I've seen this information where there's an age spread of more than 10 years. The employees that kept their jobs were more than 10 years younger than the employees that got laid off. And, and so that's, that's a real red flag. That's a concern that, that, that suggests, uh, and it's math, it suggests that the, the individuals who are being affected and laid off are, are much older than the, the employees that did not get laid off. Have you ever uh, had cases where that's been an issue that they, they some somehow messed around with this list that's required? Absolutely. That uh, <clears throat> seven-figure verdict that I mentioned earlier in our podcast, uh, it resulted in a large punitive damage award in that case. And that verdict in particular was supported by evidence that the employer in that case provided information that was required by the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act that was inaccurate and, and misleading. And, th- and that was a really big factor in, in that case. Huh. You know, we've got, uh, I think, Howard Metzenbaum was an old, uh, Ohio senator back in the 80s, and he, he was one of the uh, proponents of the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act. Well, Anything more about that case that you recall that resulted in that seven-figure verdict? Yeah, uh, it was a really interesting case. And as I said before, something that was impactful on, on, on my career, you know, this was a large global company. And our client in that case, he was a model employee. Uh, he started his career as a, as a school teacher. And he worked for this company uh, for a long time. This was his second career, but he had been at that company for 22 years in a sales capacity. Uh, he was a great performer. All of his performance reviews were, were good. And he really loved his job. He loved being in sales. And so it was a win-win for both uh, the company and, and himself. Uh, a couple of years before his actual termination, he was advised that he was going to be getting a promotion that he had earned. And so based on that information, he and his wife had decided to start building their dream home. And what ended up happening is the company developed a, a new role, what they called a business development role. And he received a lot of pressure frankly, to apply for this position. Uh, His boss, his boss's boss suggested to him, hey, we'd really like you to consider this position where it really became obvious to him, hey, they want me to apply for it. 
And so he did apply for it. And of course he was, he was well qualified for the position. There was actually interview notes that we got in the discovery phase of the case where the company is required to turn over documents where the, the manager hiring manager had wrote on his notes that, that my client was the number one candidate for the job. (laughs) (laughs) He was offered the position and, and there were 15 of these jobs across the country. At the time he took the job, he was, he was, he was 52 years old. He was actually the oldest of the, of the 15 employees in this role. There were three that were in their twenties and four that were in their, their thirties. And by all accounts, uh, he did well in the job. But a year later, the company decided to go through a reduction in force and, and he was let go along with the other oldest employees. So of the 15 employees, this company chose the two oldest employees to let go. But, but one of the things that we learned as we proceeded in the case was the required notifications under the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act that was given to my client in exchange for an offer of severance listed him as the only employee that was being affected by the reduction of force. So it was inaccurate information that wasn't in dispute. However, the company stated the reason it only listed him is because the other older worker, they had not had a chance to notify this individual uh, uh, of the layoff. So the claim was, hey, this is accurate at the time that we gave, gave it to him. Well, as it turned out, when they laid off the other older worker and notified him of the termination, and, and this was all within a very short period of time, his OWBPA notice or listing was also inaccurate. <laughs> right. And, and then it, during, the, during the trial, as you probably remember, they, they tried to claim, you know, in, de- in defense of a reduction of force that, you know, on its face demonstrated age bias. They also tried to claim that a 27-year-old employee was also included on the RIF, was scheduled to be laid off, right? And this, this employee was also kept on the payroll. So maybe, maybe the company removed him from the job, but they kept him on the payroll while he looked for another position and he eventually left voluntarily. Uh, so, you know, it was really a case where, you know, the information presented to our client and, and frankly, unfortunately, to the jury in the context of the case was just misleading and inaccurate. And, you know, they didn't like it uh, and it wasn't compliant with the law and it resulted in a really big jury verdict. Yeah, well, that's a good lesson for employers to make sure they really accurately present the information in that OWBPA list, because if they monkey around with it too much, it can get them in a lot of trouble. Hey, George, um, that was a lot to cover in our short time today. And I think, unfortunately, we're out of time. So I have to thank you for giving us this valuable information on the topic of age discrimination. 
And thanks for taking the time today to join us on Freaking Out About Work. Thanks, George. Thanks a lot, Randy. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Turkle that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work and please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com. And freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>